opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. This plane was designed in around 1948. So it'll be almost 100 years old uh, by the time they retire it from active duty, which is totally unprecedented. North Korea sets off a nuclear bomb, and how does the U.S. respond? The Pentagon sends a 65-year-old airplane to buzz Korean airspace. It wouldn't make a lot of sense if the warplane wasn't the B-52 bomber. Designed in the aftermath of World War II, obsolete nearly before the last one rolled off the line in 1961, the Stratofortress may remain in the air for another 25 years. In this episode of War College, we look at why the B-52 is still flying, and what makes it so hard to replace. You're listening to War College, a weekly discussion of a world in conflict focusing on the stories behind the front lines. Here's your host, Jason Fields. Hello and welcome to War College. I'm Reuters opinion editor, Jason Fields. And I'm Matthew Galt, contributing editor at War is Boring. So today we're talking with Dave Phillips of the New York Times about the B-52. Dave is behind a fantastic multimedia piece on the bomber uh, that shows up on the uh, paper site. We encourage you to Google it uh, or just look at uh, NY Times. And is it in a specific section? Google is the best way to find it. Google. Google's it. Yeah, that's very true. All right. So thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. All right. So, uh, Dave, can we just start off? Can you tell us a bit of the history of the plane? God, where do you even start? This plane is so old. Okay, so the B-52 has now been in active service for 60 years. It was basically designed in the late 1940s. And then uh, during the uh, 50s when the Red Scare was on and we were sure that the Soviets were going to take over North America, the United States built about 700 uh B-52s. And the idea was that, you know, uh, we would be ready for for nuclear Armageddon. And and they were going to be the um, plane that ensured our safety. Uh, The the Air Force's secretary at the time, you know, when he saw the first one roll off the line, looked at the planes and said, that's the thing that's going to keep the red fellow in his place. So, and then pretty much as soon as they built all these things, they decided they were obsolete and they were going to get rid of them. They were going to be replaced by missiles or a faster bomber or a bigger bomber or a better bomber. And it never happened. Every, every replacement that came along was somehow deficient. And so even though these things were supposed to be retired in the 1960s and then in the 1970s or certainly by the 1980s, they're now still with us. And they continue, uh, the, the plan is that, that they're going to be flying until at least 2040. So, uh, so Matt, you had a question? What, what was it built for? What is it, what is it supposed to do? Is it just drop bombs? Yeah, so it's had more uh, second acts than, than pretty much anyone out there. It was originally built as sort of this long-distance, high-flying, conventional bomber, sort of a World War II-type bomber that could drop a, an atomic... Uh, bomb on the Soviet Union. That was what it was for. And then uh, they, because it is long range and big, you can strap pretty much anything you want onto it. And they pretty much have. So uh, in the 60s, they suddenly changed, changed it into like a conventional bomber and used it to bomb um, 
Vietnam uh, with with millions of tons of dumb bombs. And then in the 70s, they attached uh, nuclear cruise missiles to it. The idea being that even though it's slow and relatively easy to shoot down, it could still get close enough to launch a bunch of cruise missiles to at an enemy um, and would be a good deterrent. Uh, and then um, it has basically bombed every enemy we've had since, uh, since Vietnam. So it, it bombed um, Kosovo and it bombed Iraq twice and it's bombed uh, Afghanistan. And the, the latest thing that they've done is they've turned it into what they call a, a precision weapon. So they've added uh, laser-guided, uh, laser-targeting capabilities. In a sense, they've kind of uh, strapped the, the brains of a, a drone to the wing, you know, fancy cameras and, and laser-targeting. And so that they can carry a bunch of laser-guided bombs and drop them one at a time as close air support for uh, troops in Afghanistan or Iraq. Well, so can we just talk a little bit about uh, just the bomber itself? And um, I mean, do you have any idea of what it might uh, what it cost to build originally? So I got to fly on one of these things okay. recently, okay. Um, and I was expecting to encounter a, a quote unquote fifty year old plane that that was in fact had been rebuilt piece by piece at great expense. Okay. Uh, uh, originally, these things cost eight million bucks, which at the time was seen as a lot of money. The the uh, current stealth bombers cost about two billion each, so you know, <laughs> comparatively, it's it's kind of a bargain. So I was expecting, well, yeah, that was eight million at the beginning, but they've probably spent hundreds of millions since replacing it part by part. And then I got on one of these planes, and almost nothing has been replaced in decades. Like the whole cockpit is is old chipped metal, uh, it's leaking, uh, it's rusting, uh, it's got old uh, uh, analog gauges everywhere, many of which no longer work because the equipment's been taken out that they were connected to. Everything is still connected by cables and pulleys. How was, how was your flight? Did that inspire confidence? Well, when we were on the ground, uh, it took quite a while to get it started. Uh, first, uh, one of the engines wouldn't start, and then the, the navigational system, which is probably from the 80s, I'm guessing, uh, crashed and then crashed again. And the, the uh, pilot looked over at me and said, boy, you're really getting the full B-52 experience right here. And then he's like, don't worry. Once we get it airborne, it's usually pretty good. Are they... Are they are they still building them, or are all of these old retrofits that they've been updating? So I was flying in the newest, most up-to-date B-52 in existence, which was built in 1961. Um, since then, so that one came with 600 of the uh, like most high-tech IBM vacuum tubes that were made at the time. Um. Since then, those have been stripped out, and there is, you know, kind of modern uh, electronics in it, but kind of modern. Here's the extent of how kind of modern they are. They're very excited about telling me about the new modern ones that are going to be installed in the next few years. And, and that system, that navigation system, is based on Windows XP, which is about 15 years old right now. So... So, you know, what is in there now is is uh, probably from the 80s or early 90s and super, super primitive. 
I, I imagine you walking, it's like walking onto the set of Alien, right? Or Aliens, you know, with the, the kind of the weird 70s retro computer feel to it. It's old green screens that are maybe about like four by five inches and then tons and tons of toggle switches. And there's literally a desk where they can chart out airspeed by uh, essentially a slide rule, this like dial that they can use to do calculations. And I saw them do it. It's not that that's that's something they don't use anymore. I saw them calculating the speed with a with a slide rule. How how do do the pilots like them? Did they give you an opinion? So I I gather that there's a a, a little bit of pride in in flying one of those big heavies, you know, one of these big old bombers, but that it is something that you go and do if you don't get into one of the newer planes. And, you know, the military isn't too uh, interested in giving you what you want. They're interested right. in giving you what they say, right? So, you know, people do it and they they uh, make the best of it. And I certainly met some great people there who are fantastic pilots. Uh, but I think that they sort of question the relevancy of their program. So, yeah, I mean, when you talk about relevancy, I mean, is the mission that it was designed for and uh, the bombing that it's done more recently, I mean, is it still effective? Is it still useful? That's a really hard question. So everybody who, you know, the, the leading minds in the military have been calling it obsolete literally since way, way before I was born. And yet, uh, since then, it has, has probably dropped more... Uh, explosives than any other plane. Certainly fancier, uh, more technologically advanced planes. It's very reliable. Okay. It runs. It runs in any weather. It doesn't need a whole lot of maintenance, even at its age. It can carry a lot. Um, now, if we were in some sort of conflict where the enemy actually had an effective air force or air defense, forget it. Like, it's a very big, slow-moving target. They wouldn't be able to use it. But really, that hasn't happened since 1975, um, you know. Uh, and so they can deploy this essentially almost World War II technology aircraft um, again and again. And, and compared to the Taliban's technology, it's, it's generations ahead, right? Um, now, if they can use it with uh, uh, precision laser guiding, uh, is that totally relevant and as effective as like an F-15 or something? Yeah. I mean, really, it doesn't matter what's dropping that laser-guided bomb um, as long as it hits the target. And they can carry a lot of those bombs. And they, right. So as, whereas they can carry dozens and dozens. So they can literally just keep circling up there waiting for a call, whereas a smaller fighter might have to go um, refuel. Here's the, here's the issue, though. The B-52 is so infamous. It's... Uh, its silhouette uh, is so um, evocative of indiscriminate killing mm -hmm. that oftentimes they'll want to deploy at places and they can't uh, because it sends the wrong message. It sends a message of, hey, remember 1975 when we bombed Hanoi and killed hundreds of, of civilians? Um, here's that plane again. Uh, so so they, they have to be very, very careful where they use it. And there's a lot of countries that uh, will not host it. Uh, they won't host the B-52, even though they'll host other American aircraft. Wow. Um, it's just a very simple question, but I mean, so 
when you walk up to this thing, how big is it? I mean, is it larger than a 747? Is it, I mean, is, are you just a, a sort of amazed by the size of it or? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not as big as a 747, but it's different. I mean, it, it is absolutely imposing. Um, uh, it's got eight engines stretched out against wings that are sort of sloping down under their weight so that they almost touch the ground. And you crawl in through a hatch in the belly. Uh, and then you crawl into the first floor of, of a two-story compartment. And on the first floor is all of the navigation stuff. Uh, and then you take a ladder up to uh, the cockpit. And, and it's big. If you go in uh, to the Bombay, it could probably fit a school bus in there. I mean, it's really, really large. Yeah. And do they, um, I mean, do they carry any defenses for themselves at all, or are they totally reliant on escorts? Some of the older models had a tail gunner. Oh wow! So really, like, uh, yeah, some of the old, so, yeah. I mean, they, like it was built by the people that built World War II aircraft, and very much had that same thinking around it. So some of the old ones had uh, a tail gunner. They still have um, radar jamming and flares, things that if if a, a missile does come after them, they can try to avoid it. But but that's pretty much it. I think that they they kind of the thinking is is that the air force uses a suite of different airplanes and they can use stealth bombers and fighters to knock out early air defenses and sort of clear the way for this this dump truck carrying a mm -hmm. ton of explosives that can then come in and hit things on the ground. Gotcha. I wanted to I wanted to weigh in with a historical anecdote that I am aware of that I think speaks to why these things are so feared and why some countries don't let them fly above them. Uh, there was a period right after World War II where where America, especially the Air Force, was very pro bomb um, and pro deterrence. Right. So you had we built a ton of these B-52s, like you said. And at any one time, kind of throughout the 50s, there was a B-52 in the air ready to go to Moscow and drop a nuke uh, in, an, in, in very short notice. And because there were so many planes in the air, there were a lot of accidents where it's a miracle that nobody got nuked by accident. Uh, the, the one that I'm really thinking about is 1966 over Spain. Uh, there was a B-52 broke apart and dropped nukes uh, on, on Spain. They didn't detonate. But, you know, this, this, this happened a couple times before we developed missile technology. Uh, and that, that specific crash in Spain is actually what led to Spain saying, we're not letting you fly over our airspace with these things anymore. And I, I actually think that that is still something that Spain adheres to. I, I think that the B-52 is still not allowed to fly over their airspace. Hey, sleepyhead. Why so sleepy? Oh, it's because your mattress is a bag of potatoes and scrap metal. You should try a Nectar mattress. With award-winning layers of comfort, you can sleep easy knowing you got incredible value. Mattresses start at just $499, and you get hundreds of dollars in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. Wow. So, and actually, it sounds like um, we, if we did deploy it, unless we got express Russian permission in Syria, essentially permission, they could just take them out of the sky. I mean, they uh, have brought in some very serious anti-aircraft technology, the S-300, S-400, right? So, um, I mean, this is, it's interesting because you're saying basically you almost have to have permission 
to go bomb people uh, or fight against... So, but here's what makes it interesting. So okay. you think that, that having this big, old, infamous plane would be a liability. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got newer planes, stealthy planes, faster planes. What is the use of this old albatross? Right. But in fact, there's an advantage to having something really obvious like that. It's, it's the anti-stealth bomber. They fly this thing when they want to be seen, when they want to send a message saying, remember what we did, remember what we can do. By the way, I can launch this plane from California and it can bomb you in China, just a reminder. <laughs> and so they do that. They call it assurance and deterrence missions. So they'll fly along the airspace of China after China does some provocation in the South China Sea. They'll fly along the, the airspace of North Korea. They'll fly along the airspace of Russia. And the funny thing is, is that Russia has its own ancient propeller-driven version of this plane called the Bear, and they do the exact same thing to us all the time. They fly right along our airspace, and it, it's just this sort of ancient, it's this Cold War kabuki that we're still doing, you know, generations hence. I, and actually, yeah, I mean, they def I know what, exactly what you're talking about. They just deployed the Bear in Syria. And it's a fantastic because the propellers are even on the wrong side of the wings, right? It looks like they're, uh, I mean, they're on the back of the wings. <laughs> I, I sort of wondered about that. I wondered how and why they were flying, but you just really explained it perfectly. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they could decide to deploy it there for, for a reason that isn't just showing that they've got it, right? They right. Things still have the power to bomb the heck out of things. Uh, um, but it, it does explain why it is that they haven't just uh, replaced them completely. And and you you wrote about in your article that we just can't seem to replace ours either, right? I mean, you talked about... Can you tell us a little bit about the B-1 and B-2 and why they never actually replaced the B-52 like they were thought to, they would? Yeah, so so the, the Air Force has tried to replace the B-52 so many times that it's become kind of a joke. Um, they tried several times in the 60s and finally in the 70s they or sorry the early 80s they went into production with the b1 the b1b is is the version that actually came on um and uh it was faster it was technologically advanced it was supposed to be everything that the the b52 was not and you know very quickly uh when it rolled off the production line uh the air force realized that it's high-tech uh, radar jamming technology jammed its own radars, and its engines were prone to fire, and uh, its reliability uh, was percentage was so low that when the Gulf One War became came around, uh, it didn't fly. Uh, the B fifty two did, um, and the B one sat it out. Uh, the B two is is another one where the Air Force was trying to use a high tech solution to to come up with a better bomber. And of course, we all know the B-2 as the stealth bomber, the black batwing bomber. Um, and it turns out that that black stealth coating is so delicate that if you don't store it in a uh, air-conditioned, uh, heated hangar uh, and um, go over it with a fine-tooth comb every time you fly it, it doesn't work. Uh, and so, and so, um, it, it was—it's essentially like so expensive that you can almost never use it unless you really need to. So once again, when they needed to bomb things, uh, the Air Force went back to the B-52. Um, uh, I, I believe that for the first few years of, of Afghanistan, it was the only uh, heavy bomber over, over the airspace. I could be wrong. So when was, when was the B-52 originally scheduled for retirement? Oh boy, okay. Um, 
probably about 1965. You know, that's an informal date because um, people will talk about it and come up with plans, but then, the, you know, when they don't do it, they're like, well, that was never formalized. But people called for it in 1965, 1970, 1975, certainly by 1985, 1995, uh, 2005. And it, around 2005, they realized that they were just going to keep it for a really long time. And so sort of a standing date has been around 2040 for the final retirement, which to put it in perspective, this plane was designed in around 1948. So it'll be almost a hundred years old uh, by the time they retire it from active duty, which is totally unprecedented. So do you have any idea how they deal with issues like with um, civilian airlines, they talk about metal fatigue. Right. I mean, so is there a piece of a single piece of original metal on any of these planes or I mean, how do they deal with something like that? Most of these planes is original. Uh, I was thinking that that I would go see these planes and they were actually new planes that were called old because they'd been re sure replaced piece by piece. But that's just not the case. Most of these planes are original. Uh, the superstructure is all original when they need replacement parts. Nobody even makes the replacement parts again anymore, so they have to pull them out of what the Air Force calls the boneyard, which is like the pile of old uh, uh, B-52s that they have sitting down in Arizona. And, and, I mean, you said that there were some 700 uh, made originally, right? Yes. And how many are flying now? I believe about 70. So I guess you have plenty of parts to choose from? Yeah, uh, l less than that original 700 because they're they're now relying on the most recent model, which is called the, the I believe the B-52H. Um, I could be wrong about the letter, but the 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 newest model, the 1961. Um, so they have a limited number of B-52Hs uh, that they can pull parts off of. Um, but most of them they they retired because of the START treaty with the Soviet Union in the in the uh, early 1990s. And part of the treaty, which to cut down on nuclear proliferation was to bring some of these planes out into the desert where they could clearly be seen by Soviet observers and literally cut the wings off. And so um, that happened to hundreds of planes. They also recently pulled, um, they have been pulling them out of the boneyard to refurbish them to keep the number at 76. Yeah, there was at least one because apparently there was a, a cockpit fire Yeah, and then they, they replaced one with with another one. I did not see that one, but <laughs> it's a great story. It kind of just switched tracks a little bit. Uh, is bombing can are bombing campaigns still effective in modern war? It's you know we, we're doing a lot of it, right? Now. <laughs> right, right. So um, this is something that people talk about. Uh, yeah, I Let, mean, let's we, talk about it. Uh, when was the last time that bombing was effective? Now that you you know, you could have a, a three day seminar on this and have everybody come along with uh, away with different conclusions, but we bombed the hell out of Southeast Asia. I mean, to to the point where they are still removing lots and lots of of buried munitions from Laos, Cambodia, parts of Vietnam. And, and wasn't the idea we actually specifically said bomb them back to the Stone Age? I, I, so I don't know who that's actually attributed I gotta, to. I think to that's a that Goldwater up. thing, but it could be an urban le legend. Uh, okay, but I mean, certainly, like no, the, that's 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 Curtis Lemay. Okay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> that is absolutely Curtis Lemay, who's a fascinating figure that we could do a whole podcast over by itself. We didn't have much traction in Southeast Asia. Uh, obviously, we we 
tried a newer, more effective type of precision bombing in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, we didn't have much traction in Iraq and Afghanistan. We're now uh, trying an even more precise uh, type of bombing with both the drone program and what we're doing in Syria. You know, it's it's certainly a tool, and and obviously it's one that people have and who have an extensive military training, uh, they like to use it. Um, we'll see if if uh, any bomber actually ever comes away uh, along to replace the B fifty two. It could be that this this plan that they're talking about for bombers to replace uh, the B fifty two, another big long range bomber that that can do what it does will never happen because maybe they'll see other ways to address what a bomber does. And they actually, um, should be, we should mention that that program just uh, passed some hurdle recently, right? I mean, uh, they awarded a contractor uh, okay. this, this fall, yeah. So, and that's uh, supposed to also have a very short time horizon as far as these things go. They say they're going to have them up and flying in a decade and I guess we'll just see. We'll, we'll see, yeah. I've heard right. that before. Right. I mean, what the, what the B-52 really is, is not the story of a bomber, but the story of a, uh, the problem of a weapons program, that it takes so long and it's so expensive to procure things and, and make changes that, that it's hard to find something satisfactory. Yeah, it actually is fascinating. Uh, I wonder if, uh, how much this applies to other planes. I know they've uh, been trying to get the Osprey fully approved forever. Uh, and number of other weapons programs that uh, every once in a while one gets killed, but very rarely, right? Right, um, right. And it's down. it's the it's the but it's the simpler planes that that they try to phase out that they can't. You know, another perfect example is the A10, which mm -hmm. is this this slow and very heavily armored uh, close air support plane that uh, every time the military tries to get rid of it, uh, Congress won't let them because there's such strong support for the plane from ground troops who benefited greatly from its, its uh, air cover. Um, but it's, it's, again, it's, I believe, a 40, 45-year-old plane. It's Vietnam era. So uh, another example of, of something low-tech that's just very expensive and, or very effective and relatively cheap. Yeah, simple kind of design for one or two things and does those one or two things very well. Right. You know, when we start getting more complicated is when we seem to start, we seem to have trouble with these weapons programs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also just wanted to mention that its official title is the Boeing B-52 Stratofortress, uh, which I just think is a wonderful name. I like Stratofortress. It's, it's evocative. I, I enjoy it. So, yeah, I guess Fortress in the Sky, that's the idea, right? Mm -hmm. Sky Fortress. And if you, see, you, you look at them, that's what they look like. You know, they look like fortresses in the sky. They are very imposing. Well, they have this ominous uh, exhaust plume they, uh, from these old inefficient engines that they have that really makes them look like uh, you wouldn't want to mess with them. Like more than anything, when when I look at one of these, I think I don't think like that looks fast or that looks cool. I think you don't want to screw with that thing. All right. Well, uh, Dave Phillips, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate everything you know about this plane. It's very impressive. Next time on War College. 
So certainly, as there's a rise and a formation of a global gas market, as there are more gas sources coming from different countries like the United States, the influence that gas-producing countries like Russia have will wane.